We are in part three of the Joshua series, and today's message is entitled Crossing Jordan, right? Because I'm witty, and that was a TV show that no one watched, and we're really crossing Jordan. Anyway, this is a stupid name. All right, so part three, Crossing Jordan, and I want to begin with a, a story and a concept that will help give you the fill in the blank there on the sheet in front of you. Here's the challenge for us. We're going to be talking all year long about servanthood, what it is to have the heart of a servant, what it is to follow God's leading, to follow his prompting, to do the things that he asks you to do. And most of us are going to kick back and wait. We're going to wait until everybody else does it. What if God is calling you to do it first? You take the first step. You initiate. You go first. We'll follow you. What if you are supposed to go first? This is the heart of the message that we're going to be talking about today. The idea that God would whisper to you, that you would follow as a servant and say, yes, sir. Not, you know what, I'll take that under consideration, I'll mull it through, I really don't think that's a good idea, God, I don't think I'm going to fly with that one. That's not the heart of a servant. The heart of a servant does what his king tells him to do. And our king is downloading information on a consistent basis, largely through scripture, in many ways through our prayer times and promptings upon our hearts, and he's trying to get us to do things, to be salt and light in the world, but we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and end up doing nothing. Sometimes you have to go first. Sometimes you have to pull the trigger and stop waiting. Here's my story. Happened this last week. So for about three years now, I've had this idea. All right? I'm an idea guy. I always come up with new ideas and things that I think are going to be amazing, right? And I don't necessarily follow through on very many of them. So I had this idea in my mind, something that was really, really important to me. Uh, there's a little teal little girl's hair clip up here. Does anybody lose one? Okay. I'll use that later. <laughs> I'm very insulated from the world, and that bothers me a lot. Surrounded by largely Christians, I have a personal mandate, as do you. Every person that is a believer in this room or can hear my voice, you have a mandate to be the salt and light of the world, to go out into the world and to demonstrate Jesus Christ. That's very hard with my job. I'm very insulated. So I had this idea. What if all the stuff that I'm learning, right? All the stuff we talk about in church, all the research, all the, the building up of understanding who God is. What if I could take that to the people? Not just the church. What if I can take that to the people and make it available to them? If they want it. So I come up with this great scheme. Here's my big, uh, great scheme. I decided, what if I did some of my sermon prep out at a local coffee shop and put out a sign, like in Charlie Brown, that says, the pastor is in, five cents. <laughs> right? I'm very high level thinking. And so I, I've been thinking about this for three years now. And for three years I've been busy. 
I've been doing a lot of stuff and I, and I try to get out there, but I, I never have been able to really do that. And I kept in the back of my mind going, that is something I've got to do. That's something that seems so important. And sometimes I overthink it and sometimes I just got too busy. So I'm doing my quiet time with the Lord on Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning, I'm sitting there with, uh, in, the, in the somewhat dark, just had the Bible in my lap, sitting down in my living room, early in the morning, and I'm reading. And out of nowhere, this idea, wham, hits me. Hey, what about that thing you're going to do? Now, I hadn't thought about this in about six months. It was pretty much quiet in my mind. And I immediately, when I thought of the idea, I had a picture in my mind of what that would look like. What that did was give me the location and the seating. Because I pictured a certain location sitting in a certain place. And then I had a choice to make. What does it mean? Do I do something about it? I determined at that moment in the year of servanthood, servants say, yes, Lord. Because I had prayed, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. If I'm really listening and he really said that, I got to do something. So I determined that on Wednesday I would to, I was going to do that. So sure enough, I go into the office and I was going to go in merely to grab my laptop, to grab my Bible and to head out of the office early in the morning and try to spend as much time of the day out at the local coffee shop that I could. I knew it had to be the Starbucks on Blue Oaks. I knew it had to be the back left corner. I knew exactly where I was supposed to sit. So I come into the office and right when I walked into the office and started to grab my laptop, one of my staff members came to me with a heavy heart. They were hurting. We needed to spend two hours together to put back some of the pieces. That was good time. So I thought, Lord, you're clearly directing things. I stepped out of my office, finished that one. Somebody else had something that they needed. And I thought, I'm not going to let this day go by without doing this. So I went in after I got done and I kind of forced the issue and came through and I said to Jess, the gal in our office, I said, I need some card stock. She said, I got these little things. I said, all right, so I'm going to make a little card thing, fold it in half. Here's my sign. My sign says, God questions, please ask. That's it. All right, pretty basic. Grab my little sign, grab my Bible, grab my laptop, put it in my little backpack, threw it on my shoulder, headed out. Drove up. It was rainy and blustery. I don't know if you remember this, right? It's pretty, pretty nasty day. So I go into the Starbucks, and it, the place where I, they move the seating. I was like, ah, the devil's been here, right? So he's moving chairs. So I, I see back in the corner, there's a, a section of, of chairs. I'm like, that's the corner I have to sit in. I got to put my little sign out. So I go in there and it's right where you wait for your coffee to come out on the other side of the counter. And so there's a girl standing there, right? She's standing right where I'm supposed to sit. And I was like, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> I'm here for Jesus. What are you doing? Right? <laughs> so she gets her coffee and she, she takes off. And I set up, and now I had to set up a scenario. I opened my laptop, put my Bible out, because I had to set up a, I'm available, but I'm not creepy. Right? That's the groove you got to set, right? Because there's no way I'm going to sit there and like eyeball everyone coming in going, God questions? 
you know, you know, and they're like, quit looking at me. You're weird. So I had to kind of work, but kind of look off into the distance sometimes so they could interrupt me if necessary. I had this whole thing mapped out, right? So I laid my Bible open to the right thing so they'd know it was serious. Oh, look, he has a Bible. Okay. Opened it to a passage I thought they'd ask about, right? Uh, because I figured someone would have a question about Haiti, and there's a story in, where Jesus is talking about, um, that he got asked about whether or not people died because of their sin. He said, when the tower fell over in Siloam, did that fall over because they were more sinful than other men? No. That has nothing to do with it. Bad stuff happens in this world. So I had that open, so I was really planned. and So I'm nervous at the beginning. How's this going to go? What are people going to think? And then I settled down in my spirit and I thought, God, I'm ready. Let's do this. Seven people came into Starbucks that day. Total. Not one looked at me. Not one talked to me. Not one glanced my direction. I adjusted my sign three times. Maybe a little this way. Nothing. Packed up my laptop at the end of the two hours. Left. Got a lot of work done. What was that about? I got four options. Right? (laughs) First option. I didn't hear God at all. I totally made it up. Um, It was just something in my head. I had an idea. It happened to pop back in my head. That happens. Right? Least likely option, merely because it was so clear. Second option, I was disobedient with the timing. God said, get out there, get it done. I allowed too many things to distract me. I got in there late. And the person I was supposed to meet with or whoever it was was earlier in the morning and I blew it. I'm going to say that's not a very likely option, merely because the needs that came in that I was supposed to handle were very much God stuff. So God was directing the timing. Option number three, it was a servant test. Kid, when I tell you to go, you go. I didn't say anything was going to happen. I said go. You set up your stuff, you get all dressed up, you look the part, you do all your little things, and nothing happens. I didn't tell you anything was going to happen. Let it go. I want to know if your heart is sensitive enough to pull the trigger when I say go. All right, so you did it. Fantastic. That's all I wanted from you. Most likely option. Number four, I was a prop. What do I mean? God was working on someone that walked into that Starbucks or was in that Starbucks, and I was merely a prop in his whole plan. For example, let us say that someone has been crying out to God, going, God, you are so unavailable. All I do is I cry out to you and cry out to you and cry out to you, and you say nothing to me. You give me no communication. And they went to get coffee that day, and God goes, I have a sign right there. I'm ready to talk to you right now. You don't really want to talk to me, do you? You'd like to complain a lot more. I gave my servant to you. He's willing to talk on my behalf. But you didn't talk to him. You didn't go up to him. I just need you to understand you're playing games with me. Are you okay being a prop? I'm okay with that. Well, yeah, but you 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 left the office and you, you set up all this stuff. and So? I'm here for his purposes. That's it. If I'm talking about this servant stuff, sometimes God goes, all right, just go out and do it. What about you? 
God gives you a prompting on your heart. You check it. You find out if it's healthy. You find out if it's godly. If it is, do it. Stop waiting. Stop overthinking it. Get out there. Get it done. You may look stupid. It may not work out the way you want it. It may look like a total wash. That's not the point. Are we going to do this? Are we going to go out and do it first? I didn't wait for a bunch of other pastors to start up this concept of putting up their little signs and right. I just did it. We have to try to hear the voice of God. And I'm not good at it yet. I may have just misheard all that. But at least changed my heart. So that when I do hear God clearly, I'll do it next time. The fill in the blank in front of you on your sheet is this. Sometimes God is asking us to take the first step. Sometimes God is asking us to take the first step. Would you turn with me to Joshua chapter 3? It's page 152 in the Bibles that were handed to you. Joshua chapter 3. And as you're turning there, let me remind you where we're at. Israel has, as a nation, wandered through the desert for 40 years after an amazing pull out of Egypt with this huge parting of the Red Sea, God's amazing miracles, the Passover. They wandered through the desert because they didn't have faith to walk into the promised land early on. They wander through till Moses is done with his leadership. Moses dies. They switch leadership to Joshua, the next guy. And they're taken some of the land and they're hovering right at the edge of the major land, the promised land. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. They are on, if you look on a map, there is the Mediterranean Sea on one side. There is, and as you look, there's the promised land and there's a boundary. One big line right down the middle that is the Jordan River. They're on the right-hand side of that. As they came up out of Egypt, they went around to the right. Now they're crossing over to head into the promised land. They're waiting there to see what God has for them. They've spied the land. They know that it's going to be a tough gig. They made a, con- a contact with a local prostitute. She said, I will be there for you. She hid the spies. They made an agreement. They came back, told Joshua it's time to go. That's where we pick up our story. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. You cannot read this without remembering the Red Sea crossing. I would like you to remember those. Those are not the only water crossings. And then the last thing is that this story of crossing the Jordan occurs in two chapters. We'll be in this for two weeks. However, chapter 3 gives you the big picture. Chapter 4 goes back and gives you the details. All right? So let's hit it. We're just going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll pray and dig into it. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. Remember that one. And went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are the Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. Let's stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, we certainly have not been this way before. We ask that you would guide us and lead us, that, Lord, that we would clearly see you and that we would follow you. We would follow your promptings. We would follow your directions, your clear directions in Scripture. 
and that we would be the people that you could utilize to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at this again a little closer. Early in the morning, this is the third day following right when the spies came back. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites, now numbering clearly in excess of two million people, they set out from Shittim. That was a, a acacia tree grove. It's acacia trees, plural, seven miles from the Jordan River. They're about to march seven miles, which is going to take a, a full day. They're going to march all these people from one location right to the river's edge. So they set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, meaning the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing over. And I want you to imagine, get into the story, imagine the nervousness. Now they know they're about to go across the river. They don't know how that's going to happen, but whatever's across the river is going to be a huge deal. It's now going to be a lifestyle of warfare. They're not super battle ready. They've done some battling. But I imagine they're really nervous. The kids are all asking their parents, Mommy, what are we going to do? I don't know, honey. Let's wait. Joshua says we're going to march across. How are we going to get across the river? I don't know. Let's wait and see. It says, after three days, meaning of being camped there, The officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and you are to follow it. All right, let's get some background. What's the Ark of the Covenant? All right, we're pretty familiar with a little bit of what it looks like from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, so we know it's a gold box, right? But let's talk about what it means. First of all, why is it called the Ark of the Covenant? There are two words that we don't use very often. Why would they use Ark in this sense and also Noah's Ark, right? Why are they the two same words? Well, they pretty much mean practically container, right? So the container of the animals was the Ark that floated. And then there's a container or a chest that is being carried through in this gold box. So the covenant portion... A covenant is an agreement. It's an agreement between two parties. It's a contract. It's an I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. The contract between God and Israel was God said, I will be with you. You must obey my commands. That's the contract. This box was a constant reminder of that contract. Now, it's a chest. What was in the chest? There's three key items that were in the chest. Number one. A copy of the Ten Commandments on stone that Moses chiseled out. Do you remember the ones that God wrote on stone were broken? Why? Moses came down from the mountain, saw that the people were being rebellious, got super mad and broke the stones. He ruined that copy. God said, fine, I wrote the first one, you write the second one. You copy it down, you do the work, you broke mine. When he wrote those down, those were placed in this chest. Also... Aaron was selected by God to be the priestly line. How did they know it was Aaron? His staff budded with blossoms. That staff was placed in the box. As a constant reminder, who are the priests? Aaron's line. All right. There's something else. There's a jar of manna. Everybody remember the story? The miracle of manna in the desert where this stuff would just show up. On the ground, and they would gather it, and they ate that throughout the desert in 40 years. A jar of that is inside the box. Now, 
Only Moses was able to put that stuff in the box. Nobody touches it. Nobody goes near it. All right. Why? Remember, you're supposed to carry it on your shoulders. You can't touch it. So they put poles through rings on the side, raise it up on your shoulders, kind of like you would raise up a king on a throne. You carry it. You're not supposed to put it on a cart. You're not supposed to put it on any public transportation of any sort. When that happened, later on, you'll read in the Bible that did happen. It started to tip over and fall. You remember this story? A really good-hearted guy went, oh no, they're going to break the box, dives under it for a catch. The minute he touches it, he was killed instantly. You don't touch the box. Right? Nobody opens it. Nobody plays with the stuff. Don't touch it. On the lid, what was called the atonement cover... Remember, it's an acacia wood box overlaid with gold on the top. In full one gold piece were two, what? Cherubim, Cherubim with, which are angels with their arms outstretched and toward heaven facing each other. In between that on the atonement or covering lid, God's presence would dwell and he would talk with the leaders of Israel. So it was an intensified, almost tangible presence of God. Now we remember that's a big deal when they would march into war with the box. That was God going to war, right? So it is the presence of God. That's why it was behind a curtain. That's why it was very important. That's why only the high priest could ever walk into the room once a year. Okay. Very, very important box. So the Ark of the Covenant is about to move out. The people are to follow it. But notice who he says is carrying it. He said the priests are carrying it. That is normally incorrect. The priests don't carry it. He's got helpers to do that. The helpers are the Levites. The Levites are not priests. They're temple helpers. And there was one particular family group called the Kohathites from a guy named Kohath. His family got to carry that stuff. But this time, the priests are carrying it. That's very rare. It only happens a couple times in Scripture. So they put it up on their shoulders and they're about to move out. It says when they move out, you pick up your positions, you follow it. Why? Because we're to keep in step with God. God's going into dangerous territory. If you hang back, you're going to miss what God's doing. If you run ahead of God, you're going to get into trouble because what? God didn't say go there yet. All right. But look at verse 4. I love this phrase. Then you will know which way to go. Since you've never been this way before. What a beautiful picture of the Christian life. You've never done this before. You ever been this age before? Nope, sure haven't. You were younger last year. You ever been this way with your experience before? Nope. What about next year? What do you have planned for 2010? Doesn't matter. God has something planned for 2010. You've never done it before. So you follow the Lord because he's done it before. He's like, I've already been to 2010. What are you talking about? It's not new to me. I know every way that we're going here. Walk with me. Keep your eyes on me. Then look at the second half of that verse. But, what? Keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Don't go near it. Okay, how far is a thousand yards? Let's try to make this more practical, right? Because it talks about cubits. Some of you in your Bible have cubits, all right? It's a thousand yards. How many feet in a yard? All right, three feet in a yard. So we got 3,000 feet of a perimeter that you don't go near the box. All right, let's make it a little bit more practical. How long is a football field? How many yards? 
100 yards, 100 times 10 is 1,000, 1,000 yards, 10 football fields, stay away from the ark. Now, if they're walking in a single file, kind of a general grouping single file, that means that there's 10 football fields between the ark and that's the front, right? So hang back. If they're walking in a big group or mass, that is a perimeter of 10 football fields away from the ark. Big question is why? Got a couple choices why that might be. Number one, it could have everything to do with the sacredness of the Ark of the Covenant. Respect, fear of God, don't get near it. That's probably the most likely. But there's a second very practical option. If you have that type of swath around it, everyone knows where it is. And you can follow it and watch it. Because really, if you have more than two million people all hurting one way, how in the world are you going to see where the ark is? Just because some guys hold it up on their shoulder, there's people taller than you, right? You're never going to see it. Have you ever tried to leave a concert or try to get into a concert? It's constantly jumbled, right? You're getting pushed all over. Someone's going to get bumped into the ark, right? So you keep a wide swath around it. Nobody gets near it. Just like when God came on Mount Sinai, they set up a perimeter around the mountain. Don't go up on the mountain. Now, all this suggests something that we do not take seriously today. And that's the fear of God. If you're not afraid of God, why should the enemy be afraid of God? We're so jaded by the New Testament, we see that Jesus' best friend, John, was leaning against his chest at the Last Supper. And that's the only picture we can remember. Here, God says, keep back ten football fields. Don't go near me. I'm a scary person. And I want every enemy to know I'm scary. Can you imagine the spies sent out from the enemy going, okay, what does it look like? What are they doing? Okay, they're really, really weird. First of all, there's a million of them. Second of all, they got this box. I don't know what's in the box, but they won't even go near it. Their own people. They cut this huge swath and they're marching towards us. That's going to create some serious fear in their hearts. What's in the box? When they hear their gods on top of the box, that's a god in a box. That's weird, right? Don't mess with the box. All right. Now, so we go back to the story. It says what? It says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. What's consecrate yourselves mean? It means make you holy. Get ceremonially clean. For the priests, that meant they changed their clothes. They washed their bodies completely. Why? Because of a certain cleanliness issue, more so for ritual cleansing. They cleanse their body. They abstain from sexual relations. They did a bunch of stuff to make sure they never got unclean, and then they were ready to go. It was a prep for something big to happen. It's interesting. When I read that, the first thing I thought about was baptism. The way it's supposed to work is that when you hear about the Lord and you're presented with the gospel... You're also presented with baptism in water. And in a sense, you're cleaning up because you're about to go on an amazing journey. 
Now, we do it backwards. We have a tendency to really have a big delay between getting saved and getting baptized. I actually got saved and didn't get baptized until like 10, 15 years later. Okay. The way it's supposed to go was all kind of together. Where you had this new journey. Consecrate yourselves. Get ready. Here we go. Cleanse yourself. Wash yourself completely. Walk out of that water. We're ready to hit it. That's the idea. Consecrate yourselves. Why? For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Man, can you imagine the expectation? What's it going to be? What kind of amazing things? I can't wait. What about tomorrow? How much are you going to sleep that night? Right? What's he going to do? We've all prepped. We're all ready to go. Imagine if we did that for church. Before you go, you prepped. You're ready to go. The family prays together. You lock in. We're going to see God. You come walking into church with this expectation of the movement of God. Wow, we've made it much less than that. Joshua said to the priests, Take the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. Now picture this. They march by walking through and everyone backs up. Here it goes to the front of the line. Got to get in the story. So they took it up and went ahead of them and the Lord said to Joshua, Apparently privately. Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. That must have been pretty cool to hear. Who exalts God's leaders? God. God alone. They do not exalt themselves. If a Christian leader comes out and has to constantly talk about what a great leader they are, and how much you should be astounded by them, something's wrong. God will lift up the leader. Right? Why would God exalt Joshua? Because he needs to get some stuff done. Right? And he needs Joshua to be at the head of the crew. Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. It's important. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. That's weird. So that's how God affirms his leader, right? Go tell him to do something stupid. So he comes out and he's like, all right, you guys, you know I'm in charge. Here's our plan. Carry the Ark and go and stand in the water. Immediately, really? Why would we do that? Because God said so. Let me ask you a question. Why does God have his people do weird things? Happens all, all throughout the Bible. You remember? Naaman had leprosy. He was a great military leader, respected by all his people, and yet he was supposed to wash seven times in a dirty river. Remember, he didn't want to do it. He said, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. Why don't you just wave your hand over me, do something magical, and then it's going to be fine. I'm not going in the stinky river. He's like, all right, I guess you're still going to have leprosy then, huh? Why does God tell us to do weird things? For example, in the New Testament, sometimes when Jesus healed, he would talk to them. Other times he would spit in the, mud, in the dirt, make mud, put it on their eyes, then have them go wash it off. Then they were healed. Why that? When they talked to him about giving taxes, he told his disciples, I want you to go fishing. You're going to find a fish, pull the coin out of its mouth, then pay your taxes and mine. Why? Why all the weirdness? Why keep having all the hoops to jump through? Says to the ten lepers that come to get healed, he said, go show yourself to the priests. They did not get healed until they were on their way. 
Why would you go to a priest when you're still unclean? They're going to humiliate you and tell you to get out of the temple because you just profaned it. Why does God ask us to do weird things? It's a faith test. How serious are you? You playing a game? You just want something from me? You engage with me. What are you going to do? Because I'll tell you this. If I tell you to do something weird or silly, if you're not really in it, you'll never do it. And I can weed you out like that. Why did Jesus talk in parables? Because they're hard to understand. If you're only in it for a game, you're going to give up and walk away. But if you have to hear your Savior talk, you're going to stick around and figure out what it means. It's a sifting method. God does it over and over and over again. How serious are you? Here in this congregation, we come in. We all come in. We can sit. We can learn. We can listen. And then he says, go and do it. And most of us do not. That is a test of your faith. And the majority of us fail. Are you serious about your faith? Then go and do what I asked you to do, Jesus said. Not sit and contemplate it. Not think new thoughts about it only. Do something. Faith is an active force. We go do something. And a lot of times it's weird. All right. Move on to the next point. It says, Joshua said to the Israelites, verse 9, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and Jebusites. Now that's seven people groups listed right there, but I would venture to say that the Canaanites, the first one listed there, is kind of a general category and a specific people. People of Canaan, but also they generally will be referred to for all the people groups that are in this area, because the area was known as the region of Canaan. Who is Canaan? Let's go back into history for a second. Everybody remember Noah? All right, Noah had how many sons? Three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. You remember that? Three guys, they brought their wives, Noah had his wife, that's why there was eight people on the ark. All right, they get off the boat, they launch out and kind of start everything over again. One day... While they're still somewhat just adult men or whatever, I don't know how young they were, it says Noah was a worker of the vineyard. Do you anybody remember the story where Noah got hammered? Yeah? Okay. So somehow Noah's working with the vineyard, he gets loaded, completely blitzed off his mind, right? So he ends up getting hammered and falling asleep, naked. Not sure why. Okay, nobody knows why. By the way, I'm not making up this story up. Okay, the Bible's weird. Okay. Ham, one of his sons, comes walking in his tent. Hey, Dad, I got it real quick. Whoa. <laughs> you, are, you're totally naked. Okay, that's pretty funny. Okay, uh, he walks back out and grabs his two brothers. Shem, Japheth, come here for a second. No way, you got to see this. Dad is just like, ah! all over the place it's crazy you got to see this the brothers are like what's that and they get serious real fast they grab a blanket walk in backwards out of respect won't look at their dad 
cover them up and they go, let's get out of here. And they walk out. Ham's like, gosh, what's the big deal? Noah wakes up. He walks out and they said, I just got to let you know something. Ham was messing with you. Immediately Noah curses him. Do you remember the story? It's a big deal. That was disrespectful. He curses not Ham, but who? His son. What's his son's name? Canaan. He said, your people will be slaves to your brother. His brother was Shem. By the way, you know what people group Shem had? The Semites. You're like, what's a Semite? Remember when anyone makes anti-Jewish comments, it's called anti-Semitic. Oh, there we go. They were to move out Canaanites' people. It was always planned that way. And this is the fulfillment of that. All right? Let's move on. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you, meaning God goes first. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And we'll find out why that is next chapter. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. Joshua's reputation is on the line. What if this doesn't work? Well, doesn't matter. He's going for it anyway. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. What harvest? The barley harvest. March, April in our calendar. In the Jewish calendar, the first month of the year, Nisan. It is also the same time of the Passover. They're about to cross over on the Passover, right? It's at flood stage. Mount Hermon, all the snows melt just like we're going to have this spring from the snow pack that we just got. Mount Hermon melts down. It goes through. It floods up the Jordan River. It goes from 100 feet wide, which is easily crossable. No big deal. Not that deep to a mile wide with moving water very rapidly. Now, can adult men and women cross it? Yes. But they have little children. They have uh, flocks and herds and things. It's going to be hard to get across it. And it's not the point that they can't cross it. It's what God wants to do. Look what happens. Yet as soon as the priests who carry the ark reach the Jordan and their feet touch the water's edge. You've got to have a lot of faith to walk up to the edge. Because you're going to about to walk into the water and it's going to look silly. They walked right up, ready to walk in. When their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Imagine the shivers in the back of their necks. They step foot, and all of a sudden the water just right past them, and there's nothing coming down. That's got to be weird, right? So it stops flowing. The whole river shuts down. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. That's 15 miles north. How did God shut the river down? Probably in a very realistic fashion. In 1927, a landslide blocked the River Jordan and shut it down. It happened probably through either a landslide or some accidental damming. Whatever it was, 15 miles north, it shut down, cut off the whole river. And you go, that's not miraculous. Don't you think the timing's weird? That's miraculous. When you touch it, the water goes by. And they walk through. Look at that. 
While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Now that's still seven miles away, but they just walked across. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. Where do you stand if your leadership in the thick of it? You stand firm until it says while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. How long does it take to get four, uh, what, over two million people, kids, animals, slow people (laughs) across the river all day? You stand there with a box and you wait. Not doing anything fantastic, just standing. As believers, you are the leaders of this world. Get in the thick of it. If you're not in the thick of it, you're insulated and you're isolated as a Christian, you're out of line. Get in the thick of it. Some of you are blessed to work in a job where it's, you're surrounded by non-Christians. Praise God. I got to go find them and put up a stupid sign. You don't. You work with them. Get in the thick of it. That's where leaders stand. That's what Christians do. Salt and light is in the thick of it. You walk in there, you stand firm. Ah. As we close, here's a thought. Sometimes God's telling you to make the first step. You want to make this applicable? Think about all the things in your life where God goes, here we go. You're walking into brand new territory with Jesus Christ. He's about to move some stuff out in your life. And he does a miracle. Like saving your soul. Forgiving your sins. And then you walk through. Somebody likely was either praying for you. Led you to the Lord. Invited you to church. Or did something. And they stood in the gap for you. You've got to do that with everyone else. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that we have the amazing opportunity to walk through history with you. To see what you've done. Because if you did it before, you may well do it again. You use ordinary average individuals... And you transform the world. God, we give you our lives. We hand our lives over to you as living sacrifices that it might be pleasing and acceptable to you. Use us as your servants. And when you call, may we respond, yes, Lord. In Jesus' name.